live. Welcome back to the Flat Out RC podcast, the podcast dedicated to all things model flying, radio control flight. We're talking planes, helis, and drones. My name is Andrew Sill. I'm the host of this wonderful podcast, and thanks once again for joining me. Things are picking up with this podcast. We're getting more and more listeners. There's a lot of people going back listening to the old episodes, which is great. Uh, they keep on rolling and we have an awesome guest this week in Martin Pickering all the way from Spain. You may have seen him on his YouTube channel or at a flying event around the traps in Europe, in Asia, in South America, in the US. He's been around. He's done it all. So stay tuned for Martin Pickering. But before we get to Martin, let's take a look at what's been happening around the traps. Well, what has been happening around the traps? Not much. Uh, flying events, everything's been cancelled. A little tip. If you think you're going to be running a flying event anytime soon, don't even attempt it. There's so many events that are being spruiked and then being cancelled, and it's going to continue that way until we have a vaccine for this dreaded coronavirus. So if you are planning on having an event, uh, don't until we have a vaccine because you'll do a lot of work and then you'll have to go and cancel it. Anyway, that's just where I sit on it. But came across a new new product uh, that I actually got it. I saw it um, on one of Martin Pickering's videos, but I've just seen it pop up elsewhere on the internet. And there's a company called uh, High Point. High Point ProTune Stick. Now, it's a company out of the US, I think think or in Europe I can't remember anyway um having a look where they might be from because now it's bugging me anyway the high point tuning stick it's it's a it's a stick designed for tuning model engines petrol powered engines so you'll know how we get out there with our screwdrivers and we try to find the uh find the needle and try to screw it in and the screwdriver pops out. Well, the guys at High Point just did a really simple thing and basically created a screwdriver that has sort of like this round copper tube that once you've put the the, the stick into, uh, you attach it to the needle, it's not going to move anywhere because this copper tube is is wrapping around the screw so that it, you stay firmly planted. And then at the end, it's not a screwdriver where you're just using your hand. There's a little dial that you can rotate for very precise uh, tuning of the engine. Um, so a good little tool that I came across. It's, it may not be totally new, but it's new to me. And... Uh, thought that'd be awesome now what they also have is you can get like rubber grommets you can drill some holes through your cow um to you know if you like tune your engine a lot which you don't need to really once you've got your engine tuned you probably want to leave it but anyway this pro tune stick is all awesome i don't think there's a distributor here in australia uh maybe you should contact them but anyway, the High Point ProTune stick looks like a nice little tool to have. Now, where can you go? Let's have a look online. If you do a search on the old Google machine, 
I'm just typing in high point protein stick now and I'll tell you where you can get them from. And of course, a typo. High point tuning stick. And we'll come up with uh, I think high point RC products. Uh, it's a funny web address. ProtuneStick.ecwid.com. Made in the USA. There you go. ProtuneStick.ecwid.com. Great little tool. Uh, so you can probably buy them online directly from them. So there you go. That's the news that I've got for you this week. Not much else. Time for our special guest, and what a special guest indeed. It is Martin Pickering. Now, if you've never heard Martin Pickering's name before, then you're not a true aero modeler. Martin Pickering uh, hails from Spain. Um, he originally from the UK, so he sounds like he's from the UK, but he's been living in Spain almost his entire life. Uh, became a very, very proficient uh, aerobatic pilot in IMAC and then freestyle aerobatics, competed throughout Europe. But then sort of around 2013 time, he moved on to really be known as a great show pilot that uh, gets invited to events all around the world to showcase products. He's got a great bunch of sponsors that really support his activity, but he's also providing a lot of value as you'll see. But Martin Pickering, his other claim to fame is his YouTube channel, which is absolutely awesome. Martin Pickering is the channel name. Get onto YouTube and have a look because he's, he's doing a lot of um, or a mixed bag of content from tutorials to event overviews and some of his projects that he showcases and whatever. But his tutorials are absolutely awesome. The way that he presents, the, presents them is, is really good as well and really easy to understand. So all the way from Spain, Martin Pickering, Let's go. Martin Pickering, one of the most asked for guests, is finally joining me. Thanks for joining me, Martin. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. It's uh, an honor to be here. Well, we know you're from the UK, but you're actually, where, tell the audience, where are you located currently? Uh, I live in Spain, uh, in a place called Alicante on the Mediterranean coast. Uh, lovely weather, great food, and absolutely perfect weather for flying in so uh really good choice that uh, my parents made when i was very very young to move out here get away from the rain find somewhere sunny and uh never really looked back since well i don't blame you actually i was thinking about you today and thinking well, what's martin doing in spain but it makes a lot of sense compared to being in the uk so so how long have you been in spain uh, basically all my memorable life. I mean, we moved out here when I was uh, about five or six. So sure, I have a few infant memories, but basically my whole life has been here, schooling, friends, and of course now work. And the best part of it all, flying. Yeah, that is true because uh, the weather is good where you are. Now, speaking of flying, where did your journey in aero modeling begin? I think my story is a little bit different to a lot of people, really. Um, I tend to find when speaking and meeting up with friends at air shows or, or other uh, 3D pilots, a lot of them have started through parents or, or uncles and so on. Uh, in my case, it was just a case we actually travelled into the town one day and there was this static exhibition of model airplanes in the centre of the town. And 
I mean, I've always had paper airplanes, these rubber airplanes, but never even knew that there was anything really beyond that. And that day I found these static model airplanes and they told, oh, well, if you come tomorrow to this place in the middle of nowhere, we're actually going to fly all these airplanes that you can see right now. And I thought that sounded fascinating. So I uh, convinced my dad to drive us up there the next day. And, uh, well, some could say biggest mistake he ever made it. Uh, <laughs> as soon as I saw it, I was hooked and basically spent a month going, Dad, can I have one? Dad, can I have one? Dad, can I buy one? Dad, can you get me one? Uh, after about a month, we, he kind of realized, that, okay, this kind of isn't going away. So let's actually look into it you know, see what it actually entails and uh, how it works, how much it costs, what we can do. And uh, it all went from there. I mean, my first attempt at buying a model airplane, I mean, this was 2002. So long before there was all, all that much information on the internet and everything else. So we actually found a, a local model shop, almost did the mistake that so many other people do, which was go without any kind of information. And our idea was just, to pick up basically what would nowadays be uh, one of those UMXs from Horizon Hobby, something like that. Just a tiny, small electric thing that you could fly in the garden, which back in 2002, of course, didn't exist yet. <laughs> so when they started talking about, okay, so you want an electric plane? Well, it's got to be this kind of two meter wingspan multiplex Piper Cub with these massive expensive batteries and this massive radio. And we walked out thinking, okay, forget it. We're not gonna do this. But um, we ended up going back to the club, asking for some advice, going back, picking up a small glow trainer, and uh, that's it, been hooked ever since. So you started with uh, the good old uh, trainer. Actually, your story and mine is, oh, I didn't have family that were into it, but uh, but uh, I, I didn't get a model airplane for, for a long time. I had gliders, I think. I got some gliders and whatever early on, but I two got in through the glow trainer kind of thing now back then of course the simulators weren't around and all that kind of thing so did you take to it naturally or did it take a bit of work not at all uh it's a funny story really because i have a lot of people ask me that kind of question which is you know how did you start i bet you were natural at it and it was like born with it like no uh, in fact, I mean, I've, t I've taught a lot of people how to fly since. Uh, I mean, I spend a lot of the time when I'm at the flying field helping other people with maidens, setups, or, or new guys. And uh, I think I've never really met anyone that took as long as I did. I mean, I, I took a year between starting my first, you know, my first ever flight, basically, to my first ever solo flight. And that's going every weekend, doing two, three, four flights. Uh, a day uh, or each weekend so yeah it took me a year to actually be able to take off fly around and land on my own but Jeez, it was something that i enjoyed about. doing <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah maybe i shouldn't be saying this on this here podcast no i was a natural it came you know boom and it was done no it took me a year to do that but it was something that i kind of grew in confidence and i just absolutely loved doing as you say the simulators weren't as available but there were some that was starting and a couple of years in uh, there was a free simulator FMS and then uh, got onto Aerofly and Aerofly Pro Deluxe and I just spent hours I mean I actually burnt through uh, three simulator cables after you know s several hours non-stop 
and the simulator cable would just literally burn up. Uh, and I just loved it so much and still do. And uh, unfortunately now I don't have as much time to be able to actually um, spend on the simulator and at the flying field as I would really love to. You know, the usual things of an actual day job get in the way. But yeah, uh, it's like... No, lots of lots of hours, lots of fun, and uh, slowly, slowly, catchy, catchy, getting to the point where, well, where we are today. Well, you're at a one of the highest levels, really, in the hobby when you think about it, and the way that you fly is just amazing. But you, you're an aerobatics guy. When I when I think of you, I think of aerobatics, three D freestyle aerobatics kind of thing. At yeah. what point did you go from being a slow learner on a trainer to really finding a path in aerobatics? I think it's been quite a long path, really. Uh, I actually started uh, going via the route of, okay, I'm, I'm enjoying my aerobatics, um, which were a struggle. Thankfully, as I say, the simulator really helped out. I mean, countless hours on the simulator and then applying the same kind of stick movements to uh, real life. Uh, with the adjustments that are required when going from simulator to real to real life and uh, just trying to take it wanting to improve I mean uh, my friends here or anyone who knows me will say even after one of my better demo flights that looked great that yeah you're, you're getting there you know mm-hmm. always I think self, being self-critical has helped me a lot in the fact that nothing was ever quite right I went down initially the route of competition flying, uh, the F3M as it was before, or iMac as it's known now. Uh, won a few times here, national championships here in Spain, went around all of Europe. So that really taught me the um, sort of the precision side of it and the, the challenge of flying a pattern to perfection or as close as you can to perfection. Uh, and then trying to apply that to the rest of my style of flying as well. So uh, trying to be precise in the 3D manoeuvres, which now is a lot more common. But back when I started, it was kind of, you know, still early days in 3D. 3D was still kind of rough around the edges. And there weren't all too many people that were even really trying to join the precision with the, the, the crazy stuff. And I think it somehow it just kind of worked out a little bit right time, right place. And just having fun all the way to uh, where we are now. Yeah. Now, the so you competed in iMac and then um, you also competed in some freestyle competitions, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. Uh, competed in both uh, the, the EXFC, the, the Spanish version as well, and the French version. And of course, all the freestyle competitions that are normally located within sort of the IMAC competitions with varying degrees of success, but very proud of my uh, my wins. Uh, I mean, here in Europe, in one competition or another, um, there wasn't any one of the top pilots that I didn't beat in at least one of the competitions. Uh, so, yeah, some, some fun victories along the way. Yeah, so... <sighs> I, I say this on numerous podcasts when I talk to to people like yourself that are, that are at a very high flying standard that you put in a lot of time to get to that point. Uh, iMac is again a recurring thing as well amongst pilots. Uh, 
how long did you do the iMac before you sort of stopped competing in, in that thing and sort of moved on? Uh, well, iMac, I started competing in uh, 2007. Uh, I was fortunate enough to actually win uh, the national version, uh, I think it was four years on the trot. So uh, even from my very first year. So by that point, I had spent a lot of hours in it. I actually had a kind of gap year, 2007, between schooling and work. So uh, that year was dedicated pretty much entirely to practice flying uh, or building, setting up my model airplanes at the time. Um, I continued doing that for a long time and I'm one who's always had big ambitions. I've always wanted to take everything that I do to the next level. I mean, this applies to flying, my job, uh, even down to my YouTube videos, uh, websites, photos, etc. And I uh, just wanted to get bigger and better. So we started traveling about. We went outside Spain in 2010 to uh, German Acromasters. So that was the first time outside uh, sort of local territory here and was surprised to to gain a fourth place in the freestyle over there. It went, you know, I, I wasn't even considering myself within those top Europe pilots. It was kind of like somehow they've let me fly against these 40 who are the best in Europe. And it wasn't until someone kind of pointed out, no, you, you, if you're here, it's kind of because you're within those 40, not because they're letting you have a go against them, uh, which was a sort of sit down, <laughs> take it in kind of moment. Um, but then, as I think tends to happen with a lot, lot of people in competition, unfortunately, we're in a world where IMAC competitions are not like a race where it's the first person to cross the line that wins and it's obvious who's won. Instead, it's a case of, okay, well, this judge prefers the snap rolls to be faster. This one likes them a bit slower. This one likes them when they break a bit more. This one says that if you break it like that, it doesn't count as a snap. And in the end, uh, I had a kind of an issue in 2013 after having a couple of years battling against the, almost the judges more than uh, competitors. And we came back from the EXFC in 2013, where I came fourth in Europe for freestyle. And uh, another friend of mine and pilot was there who came sort of at the back of the pack. We drove back together, back to Spain, and he absolutely thrashed me with the same freestyle, same music, same plane, same practice. And that was kind of the point when I said, okay, I've had enough of this. Um, I'm pouring my heart and soul into this. I'm not getting the results I want anymore. And I don't believe it's due to any, any reason that I can control anymore. Uh, and I took a step back and uh, it was hard because I, I absolutely loved the iMac. I loved the precision that it required and the, uh, the, the practice and actually having something that you're going out to the flying field to do. So you know that you're going to the flying field to practice these routines. But at the same time, uh, it was kind of around the same time that I started really enjoying my 3D flying kind of off the hook, just going out and having fun. And it was the same year, really, that uh, everything started to change for me. I started going out to a few more air shows because, of course, I wasn't using all those 
days of holiday to go to competitions. I could dedicate them to different types of events. And uh, it's just snowballed from there, really, from uh, having to drive everywhere with my trailer on the back to getting invites literally all over the world, which I've been very, very fortunate to uh, receive those invites. And uh, to date, I think I've not said no to any of them because I know just how fortunate I've been to be in that position and uh, absolutely love every single minute of it. Well, you are now known as a great uh, show pilot and uh, I don't blame you actually. I think I look at competition and I really, really appreciate it and I think it's a a great stepping stone for a lot of pilots. But uh, I'd love to be in your shoes and be a great pilot that can go just to have the fun events and uh, they say, okay, go for a fly and show us what you can do kind of thing now. So you are known as a show pilot. And as you've mentioned, you've been throughout Europe. You've been into the Middle East. What's the furthest you've had to travel for your flying? Well, my furthest from here, from Spain, uh, the furthest I've been, I think, was probably Santiago de Chile, which from here, from from Madrid is just shy of 15 hours flight direct from Madrid to Chile. So in that sense, it's, it's probably the furthest I've ever traveled. Um, but at the same time, it's quite an easy travel because once you're at Madrid, you get on one airplane and you arrive at your destination. Uh, that's, that's actually that flying field that we've probably all seen online where they've got three runways, they've got four car a circuit it's got its own go-kart circuit it's it's a model as heaven on earth the cach catch uh but i've also done a lot of traveling where on a map it may not be as far but to travel to say when i go to china that one's 12 hours but that one normally has at least two or three stops india is probably one of the worst ones even though it's actually quite a bit closer than those two but because of where i have to go in india that one's normally about 24 hours of travel. And again, it just depends on the uh, on the airlines, really. But uh, it's, it's all, I think it's always worth it. With those events where you have to travel, you know, on a plane, uh, are they providing planes for you once you arrive? Uh, it, de- it very much depends. And this is the side of my, uh, of my passion that possibly comes across in the videos and on, on Facebook and so on, but people don't always realize quite how much hard work there is involved, even in this fun side of the hobby. I mean, uh, I take as few holidays from work as I can, because I only do have a a limited number of holidays I can take a year from work. So normally, I try to catch a a flight after I finish my day's work. So you work till eight hours at the office, catch an airplane, travel as far as you need to to get to the destination. Uh, unfortunately, I'm one of those people that just can't sleep on an airplane, so uh, that kind of complicates things a little bit more. You've got time differences, and then once you arrive, in most cases, we've arranged either to borrow airplanes or, in a lot of cases, through uh, my sponsors, which I'm very fortunate to have, such as Pilot RC, their dealer might have a plane there ready for me, which is either built or sitting in a box, ready to be built. We then have to set it all up, get it going, get it working. And then after a day or two's work, 
actually be able to go out and fly it. So uh, you can imagine after a day's work, a very long flight, jet lag, have to build a plane, set it all up, knowing that you've got 24 hours before the air show starts. Uh, it's a, it can be a lot of hard work, but as I say, at the end of the day, it's still gratifying. Uh, there are be, there are a few occasions when I have been able to actually ship my own models. Uh, we've done that to China, to to Chile, and a couple of other places. But the logistics of it are just immense. I mean, of course, they're they're big airplanes, so you're talking big boxes. Then you have all the issues of customs, both going and coming back. Uh, I mean, shipping a box of that size to China. Uh, quick short an anecdote here. Uh, my very first trip outside of Spain, sorry, outside of Europe, was to China, to Beijing. So we shipped the model and it was an absolutely huge crate. Uh, but there was five of us going uh, and we all shipped our models. I had a load of problems because my box kind of got stuck in Munich before going to China because we indicated that it was a model airplane. It had no fuel inside, no batteries, no anything. Uh, but the transport company was saying, ah, but if it's an engine, it could potentially still have fumes inside the engine. You have to take the engine out or dismantle the engine so that it can't explode. I mean, okay, sure. Um, not sure how much I, I agree with that. But anyway, we arrived and uh, good friend Hans, who's flies Pulse Jets, he used the same company, shipped his planes, he opened the box, he had 80 litres of kerosene, 60 litres of uh, a diesel, two fire extinguishers, two bottles of paraffin. Uh, it was basically a flying bomb and he went through no problem. Anyway, so we get there, we ship these massive crates. This was actually put on by the Chinese government. So there was kind of no problems with uh, with the cost of the, of the crates, fortunately, because they were about three to four thousand euros each way for this box. So that's three sort of three and a half thousand uh, dollars to get the things across. Turns out the the Chinese government didn't want to pay its own import duty. So because this was organised by the Chinese government, someone high up in government spoke with the import people and said, this is how we're going to do it. You're going to deliver the boxes to this airfield. We're not going to sign anything to say that we've received them. And then in three days time, you're going to come back, pick them up, take them back to the depot, put the note in the system saying box undeliverable and return it to sender. That way, as it was never delivered to us, there was no import tax, no duties, no nothing paid. But while we were there, they wanted to put on a second show in Shanghai a month later. And they said, as we have your planes here, let's have the same people come back in a month's time to Shanghai to put on the same show again, which we all agreed to. But because of the way that they'd avoided paying the import taxes, the planes couldn't remain in China. They had to be sent back to Europe to then be sent back to Shanghai, where they were going to do the same process again of not delivering them. All this took so long that we actually arrived back a month later and there were no airplanes because they were still in transit between being returned to Europe and back to China again. But 
just one of those fun stories where you think, okay, so we've got no airplanes because the Chinese government didn't want to pay their own import tax. <laughs> it just, the mind boggles. It, uh, off air, we, we, we mentioned uh, our, uh, our mutual friend, Ido Segev, and you said that you were in China with him. Was it that trip there or was it a later trip? Yeah, it was, it was that very first trip to Beijing. Uh, unfortunately, Ido, Ido, Ido couldn't, make, couldn't make the second one. No. Uh, so he was actually okay. His plane came and went straight back. That was, was it his a own krill? design. No, no, that was when he no, was already no, doing his was, own designs, the uh, second design airplanes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, because he went to one, he told me a story where he went to one event in China and he had a krill there, you know, because he was sponsored by a krill. Yeah. And he'd never seen this plane and he thought he was arriving, the plane was all built. He turns up and it's the day before the event and they say, and it's there's a box. your plane. Yeah. He had to build this plane in 24 hours. And he came back and he said to me, Andrew, it was a shambles. He said, if anybody looked inside of that plane, he, he said there was so much sticky tape inside yeah. the plane uh, holding cables down, everything wires together. down, everything. And he said it was – and he, I remember him sending – he sent me a message whilst he was there and Ido didn't like doing that kind of stuff. He didn't have time no. for that for that kind of stuff. No, Ido, Ido was, was a perfectionist and uh, he liked things just so. <laughs> Well, when we used to go to China together, he, he had a plane there that uh, Frank Liu from Winners Model, one of the Sega design planes, and but he'd always come with his own servos, these MKS yeah. servos that he had, and he would always, and so uh, a couple of times he said to me, Andrew, you've got to help me, and I'd be working on the tail, and he'd be working on the wings, and and because he wasn't flying very much, he'd never change the linkages. He'd take the whole linkage and everything as well. <laughs> so it was just like screw, screw, screw. And, of course, we're sitting on grass, with small little servo screws trying to screw everything, oh, but, um, but the thing is, going. <laughs> yeah, no, we we didn't yeah. lose any. Oh, we may have lost one or two, but we had Martin Brandmuller from us from Austria, uh, one of the most anal uh, aero modelers going around. And of course, he would find stuff for us, and he'd always yeah. have screwdrivers as well. But uh, but um, but that's these are the store. These are memorable stories that that were that have been created. You'll always remember these times trying to travel. Oh around yeah, with, I mean to different events. That that happens probably fifty percent of the time though. And I mean, we could have we could have an entire series of podcasts of just telling you the the most amazing and crazy stories from these events. But that's all part of the fun. Uh, if everything went as 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 is seen on YouTube. Uh, yeah, it'd be one thing, but the fact that you come back and you think, oh, turns out we we didn't have a plane or the plane that we had. I mean, I had a an interesting one in Dubai. What was it two years ago, I think. Now, I won't say the brand of the plane for, for re- obvious, the obvious reasons, but I was given a plane to fly, a 100cc. If you want to look for the video, you can find the video and see what plane it was. Um, and on the first sort of test flight, the wind tube snapped in half, doing the most light push down that you've possibly ever seen. The air show was going to start the next day, and you can imagine sort of the chaos of, okay, now what? And this was a tube that actually broke mid-flight because the, the inside of the wing had been burnt, but it hadn't affected the outside of the wing. So it was like the oil cover was perfect, the servo was perfect, Yet the wing tube was broken because the the resin had been burnt away. How the heck that happens, we haven't got a clue. We can only imagine that, I don't know, uh, something weird happened at the factory and no one noticed. But we then had the 
probably my record for building a 100cc plane. Uh, it was a mad dash, and between uh, about four or five of us uh, inside the Gonzo Hobbies uh, shop in Dubai, uh, we built a brand new Pilot RC laser, 103-inch, in three hours. No. From taking it outside, out of the box and installing brand new equipment, having to make extension leads, absolutely everything in three, three hours. hours. How many of you working on the plane? It was about four or five of us. Uh, probably, I would say, two of us were completely dedicated to those three hours. Uh, the other the other few were sort of coming and going. But, uh, yeah, team effort. Oh, that's, that's what needs to happen. You know, because I'm a, I'm a slow builder. I'm always too busy to build half the time. And so uh, if I can get someone else to build a plane for me, that's good. But uh, we should have these sessions, you know. Grab five of your buddies and say, we're going to build a plane today. We've got three hours. Go. Exactly. exactly. I mean, you, you, you then have all the stories. You have the laugh and the joke. And by yeah. the time you realize, you built it. Yeah, well... Uh, last uh, time I was, or oh, 2018, I was in China. Um, Jay Stussy was there and he was fortunate. They had a plane, Extreme Flight Factory, had built a whole bunch of planes for him to fly. Um, but the main 100cc that it was flying, an extra was running a DA, DA120. And of course, whoever put the plane together didn't um, didn't understand the batteries or didn't set the ignition. I think with, you can set the ignition or something, the voltage that you run the ignition at. And basically the ignition module blew up. So we're sitting in China oh. trying to work out where we're going to find a replacement DA120 ignition module in China yeah. where nobody flies DA in China. They were flying GPs and DLEs and all that kind of thing. But they found one. It happened to be one person in the Shanghai region somewhere had one and uh, and they got that. They put it in the plane and fortunately it worked straight off the bat. Otherwise, he would have been flying electric planes for the rest of the event. But uh uh, we we had a we had a similar one to that in uh, in Abu Dhabi back in 2015, um, and I always remember this one because I remember the face of Terry, who was the guy that had got me out there, and he um, we had we'd had Tony from Pilot RC send out this brand new uh, extra 107 inch with that uh, lovely it was I think he only did one of them it was a test he airbrushed the uh, all the oil cover. And it was a wonderful uh, metallic paint job. Um, but basically, because of the rush, he had sent out this plane, but hadn't glued the hinges in. Terry hadn't realized that the hinges weren't glued in. I arrived after a very long flight, after a long day's work. I'm told, here you go, the plane's ready to go. I now check everything, as you can imagine. But on that occasion, we didn't. Just sort of checked that the servos were all working in the right directions and all the usual stuff as I'm handed a radio, elevator blows off, as does a rudder. The, the, sorry, not a rudder, the rudder. And uh, we managed to get it down, but break the undercarriage. The air show was going to start in like an hour and a half. And uh, sort of no undercarriage. What are we going to do here? So through my work, we actually have a system where, <laughs> which we, we applied here, which was, it's easy. It, there was this model shop, like, an hour and a half away. But of course, we couldn't go because it was an hour and a half there, an hour and a half back would be late for the, for our slot. The guy from the model shop wasn't willing to travel to the, to you know, close the shop to bring the uh, landing gear, put it in a taxi. So we actually put this landing gear in a taxi, just told the driver, here you go, here's your passenger, please take it here. 
Yeah. And in, in, in an hour and a half, we had our landing gear in its own private taxi. So some, sometimes the, mo- the most unusual solutions, but it gets you there. In the end, it always works out. Now, beyond the horror stories of getting your planes there, and yeah, you're right, we could probably do multiple podcasts on it. You you go to these events and you're really invited to to do demonstration flights and and I, I love it when you know the, uh, the the likes of yourself get invited because it's really a great motivational thing for the onlookers the you know those that are into the hobby and it spurs them on to want to be like you you know and and these other guns that that fly at these events so what what is your aim of your demonstration flights you know what is your your your, your plan prior to the event and what are you trying to what are you trying to put on uh, at the event? Um, well, if we're talking about the actual flying side of things, uh, my view for demo flying is quite simple. My point of view is that I go out there to have a good time. I mean, a lot of sponsors, uh, especially shops around here when I started out, could never understand why when I'm on my own practicing at the flying field, why I'm scraping the elevator, the rudder, the wingtips, etc., on the floor. So there's no one here watching lift it up two feet. And I've always said no, because then when I do it lower at an air show, I'm going to mess it up. Let's always fly to the limit. And that way, when we do it at an air show, we're used to it, it's normal. And heck, if necessary, at the air show, lift it up a foot, and then you're absolutely safe. Um, So I always just take the point of view that if I'm having fun at an air show, it's because the flight's going well. And as long as I'm having fun, Anyone who's watching behind is going to be enjoying the show as well. Uh, so I don't really go out there with any intention of, okay, so we're going to take off, go to knife edge, then pull up, go to inverted, do a flat spin. You'll watch my flights and no two flights will be the same. Uh, they're all just made up at the spare of the moment. Uh, and it's basically just me having fun. Sometimes you'll hear, you'll see me, I've got uh, earphones in. I'm just listening to some music or I'll have some music playing in the background. Uh, and just, it doesn't, necessarily have to be music that's actually adding anything to the flight that's why i'm listening to it and i don't have it booming out the speakers but if i get my own adrenaline going if i'm enjoying what i'm doing i'm having fun which is 99 percent of the time well the flight's going to be fun as well and people are going to enjoy it aside from the flying i also try to uh i mean you've you mentioned my youtube channel i enjoy showing anyone who wasn't there sort of a little bit of all what went on uh, as well as it acts as kind of an appreciation as well to those who invited me, sort of saying, okay, well, cool, you came and you did a great flight. Uh, but if you then send them a nice video at the end of it, or some pictures, it just adds to the whole sort of family feeling of saying, oh, yeah, this was really a great experience. Uh, and we've all got some great memories from it, as well as the actual event itself. So, yeah, just trying to be there. Uh, I enjoy helping anyone out. So, I mean, the amount of maiden flights and test flights and radio setups that I've done are probably almost uncountable. Uh, but yeah, I think a lot of people tend to consider that, you know, if you're an international pilot, that you're going to be kind of a bit stuck up and, you know, better say hello, but not much else. Uh, and in general, none of us are like that. But I especially try to be just another one of the lads and Anyone who knows me in person will see that the first thing that I do is crack a joke, have a bit of a laugh at myself and with other people, and then you soon realise you just blend in, have some fun. At the end of the day, we all speak the same language, which is airplanes, and after that, it's all good. Well, I think it's um, it's it's 
it's a great way to be, full stop, but also because you are a sponsored pilot that you are representing them as well and what they want is nice people that are going to help the crowd kind of thing. Now, you are some, Indeed. You've, got, you've got a lot of sponsors. Uh, rattle off some of the sponsors that you've got that you work with. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm very, very fortunate with the number of sponsors that I have. Uh, I think they're also all sort of top tier sponsors and I couldn't do anything near what I do if it wasn't for them. Uh, I mean, I fly for Pilot RC, who, I mean, I, I work really closely with them as well, testing prototypes and uh, color schemes, designs and uh, feedback. Uh, Powerbox Systems, which is possibly one of the ones that I'm most known for. I mean, I'm for always doing videos with them. Uh, we've got MKS servos, GP engines, OptiPower uh, batteries and uh, accessories. My favorite, uh, possibly as well, which is JetCat. I mean, absolutely the best turbines out there. Just install and run. Electron retracts, Revoc wing bags. Uh, and then we've got a load of accessories like uh, G-Force Aircraft Design, who make the uh, pilot heads. CM Jets, who make uh, fuel tanks. Uh, inner flyer LEDs, uh, RC factory with you know the I think they're I'm not sure if in Australia you have um, uh, twisted yeah. hobbies or RC factory, but it's all we, the same we've stuff. Got, yeah, we've got RC factory. We've got a um, a, a dealer here in Australia that, that uh, sells them. So we're, yeah, we're lucky to have a, we've got the, yeah the whole range. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, as I said, if it wasn't for all of them, uh, you would be all seeing a lot less of me. And I couldn't do anywhere near what I do, both here in Spain and when out and about. I mean, a lot of these events that I've travelled to have all been with either Pilot RC or Powerbox. They've kind of been the, the mediators between the organisers and myself. Uh, they're also the ones that then help you find airplanes or arrange to have an airplane there waiting for you. So I'll say anyone who's wanting to kind of follow in this kind of footstep i think uh sponsors are obviously the number one way to go uh, everyone wants to be sponsored i think everyone seems to be sponsored at the moment uh in some degree or another whether they get a discount or whatever but i think there's a lot more to sponsorship than a lot of people realize i mean sure it's nice to get uh reduced or free stuff but at the end of the day we all have to remember that our sponsorship isn't to help us our sponsorship is to help the brand. As long as the brand is getting back more than what they put into you, you're going to have a sponsor for a very long time. And the more true that that is, well, the better that relationship's going to be and the more help you're going to get from them as well. So if you can really give something back, then you're on uh, on the right track. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's it's not about being the best pilot in the world. It's about being a competent pilot that can represent the brand really well. And as you said, make sure that you interact with the people that are at the events and that kind of thing. Well, it brings oh, me to, totally. you, it brings me to the YouTube activity because um, you know, I, my day job is in marketing. I run a marketing business and, and the activity that you do on YouTube is absolutely phenomenal for the sponsors that you represent. And, it's a great way that you can add value to them when you're not at an event, which are a few and far between, really, when we think about it. When did you start with the whole YouTube thing and, and what brought you to, to YouTube? Yeah, I mean, the, the idea of adding YouTube really 
uh, it, it wasn't kind of a deciding moment when I said, okay, I now want to do this. Uh, it started off, as I say, almost accidentally through just trying to help out some of these sponsors. I mean, I think one of the first ones, the earlier ones, was when Powerbox sent me, um, I probably should remember what it was at the moment, but I can't. But it was it was some new Powerbox or accessory. And they sort of said, Martin, we have a load of people asking us how this works. We think it's real easy. We've seen you at an air show use it in you know, no time at all. Could you somehow do something to help us with that? And I did a video and uh, they put it on their website and it got a load of views. And I thought, oh, this is really cool. You know, at that time I was working real close with them for some other things. And I thought this is a really good way for me to show my appreciation for the help that I'm receiving back. And uh, it's just grown from there, really. I mean, it, it applies both to sponsors and to event organizers. I mean, as you said, um, it's not all about flying. I mean, I'm conscious. Heck, I'm getting old now. I'm 32 this month. I mean, oh, all gee. these, uh, all You're these. You're so young... old. <laughs> oh, <come on. laughs> no, but all, all these young guns. I mean, you've got all these absolutely crazy pilots popping up everywhere. Uh, at the age that I did when I started doing all this, I know this isn't going to last forever, uh, and it's a case of continuing on as long as I can with uh, as well this kind of whole package. I mean, as long as I can continue flying to a high level, if you have all these extra things as well. I mean, when I started traveling around the world, as we said earlier, to China and other places with Powerbox, I mean, Powerbox sponsor basically every top pilot out there. So they have a huge array of pilots from which they can choose. Uh, and I think I was fortunate to, well, I, I was very fortunate to be the one that they chose for that particular event. And that was basically because I they could get a full package with one seat on the airplane. That being a lot of people, they have their brother, their father, or, or some kind of help from some family member who sort of maybe does the maintenance side, the mechanics, or the setup. And they dedicate their time to flying, be it on, uh, on the simulator in real life or on a foamy. As I never had that, I've had to take everything into my own hands so anything from deciding what airplane to buy up to building it setting it up maintaining it flying it crashing it and repairing it uh, so i think in that decision powerbox decided i would be a good choice for that air show because we didn't know what we were going to find so someone who can do everything will be ideal and i think that's kind of rolled on from there the fact that you know i, I can go out and i can help someone set up their gyro or they've got a problem with where the plane doesn't fly straight and how to change that. And adding to that, the fact that you can help other people and show your appreciation in other ways as well, just really closes it off and makes uh, an even more enticing sponsorship prospect for those sponsors. Yeah, and well, proof is in the pudding and the numbers you're getting on your, number of views you're getting on the channel are, are, are really, really good. And and what I love about your channel is that it's a mix of a bit of everything. And, you know, for example, I was setting up a 100cc and I had a power box unit in it and I had to work out how to sync the servos. And I watched the Martin Pickering video and it was the best video that I, and I'm not just saying it's <laughs> here, man. It's the best instructional video I'd ever watched because it was so easy to follow. And and it was it was so clear that I know how to do it now without even looking at the device. Actually, I helped a friend over the phone program his power <laughs> box. 
And that started from a Martin Pickering video. That's, and that's I, music to my ears. Well, and it, it's true. And I'm not trying to just pump your tyres up, as we say, but the but the it was such a good video and so easy to 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 understand. And I literally had it on my phone, sitting on the wing as I was pressing the buttons, and it, it happened to be the same. Uh, I think model of uh, Powerbox that I was using as well with the little screen uh, and all that kind of stuff. And so, and it was the first video where everything just clicked for me with the Powerbox. I just worked it out after watching that video and you know using it as instructor. But but then, and I've been watching some of your your other videos recently, and you've got uh, you know you're into jets, and we'll talk a bit about that soon. But you know there's that the setup of your jets and then the maiden flights. So you're showing the flights. You're doing event videos. It sounds like like it appears that any time you have an opportunity to produce some sort of content on YouTube that you think is going to be valuable, whether it be a tutorial or an event overview video or a maiden flight, you're taking that opportunity to do that. Would I be correct in saying that? Yeah, I, I try to find stuff that I think is actually going to be either fun or or informative, ideally both. Um Sometimes it works out better than others. Sometimes uh, I end up scrapping it because I think, no, this actually isn't of interest to people or it's too serious or it's too complicated. But yeah, I mean, I think uh, the, the, the whole idea of it is kind of similar to what you mentioned earlier on that you're trying to do yourself. You're trying to mix it up a little bit with uh, talking to different kinds of people from different styles and finding uh, different content for the channel to, to satisfy viewers or, or listeners needs and uh, that's it I mean I know there are people that absolutely love the flying videos but realistically there are loads of channels out there that are dedicated to flying so and I don't really want the channel to become just the Martin Pickering show uh, I mean once you've seen two three ten videos of me flying one of my aerobatic models you're not going to want to watch the same video over and over again every week that I upload a new video with more or less the same kind of style of flight. So instead trying to adapt that and sort of say, well, here's a couple of flights of mine. Here's a few of the events that we've been to, which, well, this year is uh, <laughs> a bit of a wipeout, but uh, hopefully we'll get back to that soon. And then the, yeah, the, the kind of tutorials or just anything that's kind of fun that, is showing something a little bit different or how we do things that are in a different way or ideas of things that I didn't know. And I thought, oh, that's a really good idea. I'm going to have to share that with people because, you know, that's just that's just saved me an hour's worth of whatever. Yeah, and you know what? It, it, it's, it's interesting you say that because in the last podcast, I, I had a bit of a rant about the state of marketing slash communication in the hobby and comparing the traditional media versus what we've got now and you know i i do i grew up reading magazines and i love the magazines but they've really died out and i had flat out rc magazine for a couple of yeah. years and it was hard to sustain it but it was that kind of forum where it was long form and you'd think about what you had to do before you did it and now there's a lot of content being thrown around all over the place but i think a lot of it is just piffle in a kind of way like the most popular videos on youtube uh, for model airplanes are plane crashes and yeah, number one <laughs> some guy in germany or something goes to air shows and just films people flying big planes and has a a, a catchy title and you'll get a hundred thousand views of it and yeah. you think okay like you said we can watch you fly but after a while it's the same old same old and 
uh, your content stands out amongst that. And that's what I'm looking for. And and even myself, I'm look, trying to work out where my role is. And, and you know, I'm not a, a, as good a pilot as, as you are and nobody wants to see me do a demo flight, I can tell you that. But <laughs> I, I'm good at capturing a story and taking that to the market. And I... You know, sometimes you th- I think, oh, I should just go to, I should just follow the masses, go and shoot a video of a giant scale plane and post that up and see how yeah. it goes. But that, that, that's a hard one because I mean, you, I think we've all thought about that. I think how can yes. this video be getting those kind of numbers? But again, those are the channels that have been there for well, decades time. almost, and uh, they've they've grown into it. So half of you think, well, how come this video where the first two minutes are the guy starting the engine? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd have clicked off that in the first 20 seconds, thinking, okay, if this is the pace of the video, I'm not interested. Yeah, you look at it and it's got half a million views and you're thinking, okay. But now nah, I think we, in that sense, yeah, we, I think we've all got to find our own track, find what works for us. And uh, as long as I'm happy with the content that I've produced, to be to be honest, I'm not too worried about the the, the number of views uh, or anything like that. As as long as I'm happy with with the the content that I have created, uh, and those who find it, I think will continue to enjoy it. Well, it's all good. I just take the point of view that I have to be. If I create a video, I have to be able to send that video to any one of my sponsors and hold my head up high. As long as I can do that, you're golden. Yeah, I agree, and it's. It's one of those things, and I think you're in the same boat as me. Is you know, the main piece of content that I produce now is this podcast, this weekly podcast. And um, when I upload that podcast and it gets out into the world, the last thing on my mind is how many people are going to listen to it. It's I I rarely actually look at the statistics, you know, as to how the podcast is performing, yeah. and and different episodes vary, kind of thing. But it doesn't. I'm not paranoid about the numbers. I'm no. always thinking about the content and who's the next guest and how do I have that blend of scale aerobatics, gliders, jets, blah, 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 and really thinking about what the audience wants all the time. And I'm sort of glad because you know, we could beat ourselves up because you know some videos might p- perform better than others. You know, I did, I did um, in 2018 when, when I went to the China Top Show and Ido Sega was with me and whatever. I said to him, Ida, I'm going to do something different. We're going to make a movie. And I said, it's going to be feature length. And um, and it was just my attempt to try something different. And I, yeah. I produced an hour and 25-minute video or hour and 20, whatever, video from it. And it took me a long time to edit. And I, I actually the- watched that. I didn't realize it was yours, though, until now. <laughs> uh, it took so long. And you know what? There were so many areas that I could have improved. But I, when I look at good, it, though. And I go, well, well it, it was the best that I could possibly do because – I was judging the at the I was a judge at the event. You can't film whilst you're judging because you're watching aeroplanes, mm. yeah. right? And so I'm literally using my iPhone to get the pilots taking off, and then any other opportunity. So I'm going flat out from the time <laughs> I wake up to the time that I go to bed. I'm thinking about what do I need to shoot, and plus I have to do my job as a judge at the event. And yep. so, and and Edo was really really good. And whenever Edo and I had uh, were on camera together, I didn't have to say anything. I just go, Edo, need something. He go, okay. And and I just pointed at him, and he'd yeah, always start with "All right." And I'd always in the yeah. end, in 2018 I said, "You know, I got all the outtakes of me going, you know, you said all right." And he goes, "Oh, not again." <laughs> anyway, he always said "All right," and then he'd get into it. But it was literally we'd turn to the flying event and go, "Okay, Edo, I need to do an intro," and he and I'd pretend the camera on and I'd go. But um, 
that was just an experiment to try to see how that would turn out and it's done and it's out there and people can watch it if they want or they don't if they don't it doesn't yeah. really matter and well, i think for that with, for that kind of event though as well we i mean from my point as well uh, the the event coverage and a lot of stuff like that, I actually do it almost as much for the public as I do for myself so that I have a memory of in 2000 and X, I went to whatever location. And if I wanted to remember some something about that event, not only do I have the photos that we took, but I can just sit back and watch that video and think, yeah, that was a really cool event. Yeah. It's like we've got these home movies and, you know, with the passing of Ido Seg, it was something that I've spoken to to his girlfriend and his and his brother about is that I am so thankful that I have this hour and 20 something minute video. Yeah. And plus I've got lots of other video footage. Then the video from the 2017 and then the video where he was at an event with me that I, I if I want to see him, I just turn on the, on YouTube and, and his family as well, you know, who yeah. are really doing it tough still over in Israel that they've got this, this, this memory. And, and I'm so glad at the number of photos and, what I actually started doing, because Ido was like the test pilot for the magazine and he'd come and I'd say, Ido, I need you to fly a plane and like in the uh, the RC factory, Edge Excel. I said, Ido, I need you. I just need to do one flight. And he okay, okay, Andrew. And he yeah, just yeah. lives like five minutes from me. He'd come down. He'd fly the plane. He was obviously thinking, oh, and he was so good to to photograph because I'd tell him, I need the plane a bit lower. He goes, yep. And he'd just do it. And so yeah. <laughs> literally we could get everything done in one flight. And then I'd pull my phone out and I'd record him. Um, uh, uh, just giving me notes on how the plane flew. So, you know, we were we were trying to do proper reviews, and that's why I got Edo to fly because he could really articulate how this plane was flying yeah. versus the average punter that could hardly fly a circuit precisely. Wait, so what do you would, say about that? that, that, that sorry, just to, yeah. The, what, you, what you say about him being able to do that, and then you take the picture. That's something yeah. that I find so frustrating because I yes. re- my other hobby is photography and videography, which I really enjoy. But I can't get the photo that I want because I can't take the picture and video at the same time. Yes, yeah, and it's <laughs> it's, it's 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 a, a massive. And the other thing is, uh, you can't take a good photo of a plane when it's two hundred feet in the air. You have to; they have yeah. to be flown at, at at pretty low to get the angles right and to, to showcase the plane. And, and like, if I go to a flying event and I take a lot of photos and put them on Instagram or whatever. It's literally takeoff and landing photos, the majority, because everybody's flying so high, except yeah. Ido could bring it down. But, um, but yeah, I'd record his voice. And then after he passed away, I went, I went, I went and listened to some of these uh, recordings that I had. And they were great. They were really good. So now what I'm doing is I'm creating like videos out of the photos that I took of him flying and him talking mm-hmm. about it so they can hear straight from his oh, cool. know, voice. as to. And I did the, the latest one. I put the Edge XL. I found that and I put the Edge XL in. He loved that RC factory plane. He actually said to me, it's better than any of the T-Links that I ever developed. He said, this is, <laughs> this is amazing, this plane. And anyway, and then I gave him another battery. He said, have another fly. And he had another fly. And he goes, oh, this is really good. And then we'd pack up and go, okay, see ya. And he'd go one way, I'd go the other. And we'd go back to work and uh, that yeah. kind of thing. How much time are you committing to the to the YouTube stuff? Like, have you got a have you got a schedule where you're trying to aim to have a video a week or, or how does it work? I have had a schedule which uh, I started uh, skipping about a month ago. I was uploading twice a week, uh, Tuesdays and Sundays. Um, I actually started that during quarantine when we were in lockdown over here because I figured, okay, cool. Now that I'm basically stuck at home uh, and I have more time, I can actually catch up on these what seemed like hundreds of videos that I had ideas for or material for and I just had never had the time to do. So I think, okay, well, let's actually start filming and editing these, get them finished, 
get a bit of a backlog up and then start posting twice a week and try and keep up with it. And I've done that for a couple of months, uh, but it's just so much content. And I found that I was rushing the content in order to publish the video, which was in my own mind, lowering the quality of the content that I wanted to publish. So I kind of took a step back recently and said, okay, now we're going to kind of upload. We're probably going to keep those same days for when I do eventually actually upload something, but it isn't necessarily going to be every Tuesday or every Sunday. So try and keep the Sundays for kind of videos where there's some kind of flying going on and Tuesdays for videos where it's kind of in the workshop or or looking at something uh, that isn't actually flying in the video itself. But yeah, schedules, I mean, how long way too much and that's the simple answer uh way 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 too long uh but it's it's at that point where it's it's cool where you we're eventually creating a community because um we've got all the people that comment on the videos are now starting to be sort of the same people video after video and they start giving you feedback about what they liked and what they didn't and uh an idea for a future video and it's nice creating that kind of community where you know that you have that kind of base number of people that no matter what you publish they want to see it and they're going to be brutally honest with you about the result and you can then use that to sort of say okay well we won't do that again or we'll change that up for next time or this one really worked let's try and do more like this well one of the videos uh, well the, the last video i watched the other day, actually, from, from your collection, was a video of you taking you through, taking us through a tour of your new workshop area, and ah, it yeah. was a phenomenal video. And even <laughs> put a, like to me, that is great aero modeling content because it's almost like you showed us the space that you work in, you showed us what you'd done. Which, by the way, is I, I was sitting there thinking, how could I do that in my house? And I worked out I, I don't have the space. <laughs> But I thought, this is awesome. And the, and the, the whole setup with the aeroplanes behind you and even how you did the lights. And because I know I'm sitting there and I'm going right on because that, isn't it painful setting up all the gear to just to shoot a video and even PowerPoints oh, totally. to make sure you can plug your lights in. And, and you know, I, I, I produce a lot of videos generally not on aero modeling. I actually do a lot for, for in, you know, businesses and technology and stuff like that in the corporate world. And, uh, and I'm on camera a lot, and I have to set up these lights. And, and I'll well, ask for some tips once we finish them. <laughs> no, no, no. You, you know, oh, it's the other way around. You're doing a really good job. But the, but that setup time is really uh, impacts yeah. your ability to produce the content as much as you want. If it's all set up, you know, like I always say, one of my dreams. I love playing music and recording music. And during lockdown, I've been doing a lot of it. And I always say to my wife, my dream is to have like a music studio with everything set up so I can just walk in and don't have to pull the guitar out and plug the leads in or whatever. Just turn the power on and off I go. And it's exactly. the same with the, with model flying and stuff like that. But uh, there's still time. So I, I admire you. Uh, the, the And if anyone hasn't checked out the YouTube channel, just uh, it's uh, it's just Martin Pickering. Is it Martin Pickering RC or just Martin Pickering? It's uh, just Martin channel, Pickering. We're actually yeah. going to be uh, uploading soon uh, a second channel which uh, after so many years of having this single YouTube channel and trying to find a balance for, I mean, I live in Spain. All the people that I see on a daily basis are Spanish. They speak Spanish. Every single one of them is giving me a hard time saying, I can't watch a single one of your videos, mate. (laughs) They're all in English. So in the past, we have uploaded videos in Spanish. 
but they kind of get lost in the midst of it all because everyone's expecting to see English videos. The people that always watch all the videos suddenly think, hang on, what's going on here? I can't watch this, it's in Spanish. Yeah. And the people that are Spanish that want to watch it don't know it's there because they've given up trying because everything's always in English. So as of uh, probably sometime next month, we're going to have a second channel, Pickering RC, uh, which is also the name of my online shop here in Spain. So that, that's going to be the Spanish side. So we're going to have a Spanish videos on uh, Pickering RC and the exact same content as we always have here on the main channel, which is Martin Pickering. There you go. See? You just so we're doubling, doubling down YouTube on YouTube ad revenue. Just, well done. Just like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, that's the, it, that's, what we, that's the plan. Whether I shoot myself a week after starting and thinking I can't do this, I <laughs> oh, just do it, Mark. What have, what have we got to lose? You know, like I, I'm an ideas man, and that doesn't necessarily mean good ideas. And you know, I started a magazine, and I thought we'll give that a crack and see how that goes. And it lasted ten editions, and they're great. They're, I'm proud of the 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 editions that I had. They were produced really well. The photography was really good. It, it took things to the next level. But out of that, I learned that in Australia, the market's too small. The industry's not in a great place to pay for advertising. Yeah. So I stop it. I can go and start a podcast now. But mind you, I started that magazine. Like the first issue went to print four weeks after I said I was going to do it. Like I just went, okay, I'm going to do it, and then it's a good timeline. Well, I've got videos was, that I'm working on that are taking longer than that. <laughs> yeah, well, I know, I know. But but producing the podcast as well, I thought, oh, I'll start a podcast because I, I've realized some people say to me, why do you do it? Because there's no money in it. And so I love producing the content. I love putting something out there yeah. in the world that I've created. And, it, okay, it's a simple thing as just having a chat with somebody, but it's not that simple. And if it was that simple, we'd all be doing it. And uh, so... I, we need well, I'm terrible like at you. doing nothing. So anything that keeps me occupied oh. and I can have fun whilst doing it, I'm there. Oh, I 100% agree. What do you like sitting down on a beach staring at the ocean? It depends if I've got a transmitter in my hand or not. Okay, so there you go. <laughs> I sit on beaches. I call it, I've call it. i been to Fiji a number of times with the family and I call it frustrated relaxation. My wife goes crazy. <laughs> but I, I, I'm sitting on a beach going, okay... Um, Gee, the wind's up, but it's hitting that slope. We've had a glider here. I could slope. So, or, that's you know, the one. I've been into water sports, kite surfing, windsurfing, and sailing and all that. Oh, if I had if I had a kite surfer, he'd be really good. And I'll tell yeah, you what. A pro- some kind of activity. Yes. I'm. I, my wife can't stand it. My, my mother-in-law said to me, do you ever sit still? And, and oh, it was a bit arrogant of me. I turned around and said, you can't achieve anything sitting down still. It's like, you've got to be doing something. And so... I've got a yep. dirt bike now. I'm going to oh, oh, <laughs> mountain bikes, a ski. You know, I've got to. Oh, you just need to be able to get out to use it. <laughs> oh, don't don't start. See, this, uh, talking about producing content, that I, I've started a podcast in the midst of Corona, where we haven't been able to fly. We've had it's been on and off, but we've been limited in what we can do. And uh, most of us have not flown properly for for, for five six months, and so. I can't wait to actually be able to go to the flying field and then talk about what I did at the flying field. Or, or I haven't shot a video because... Well, that's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll just plug one of my sponsors here. RC Factory do some wicked foamy planes. Yes. So you can fly them anywhere, garden, backyard, around the corner, somewhere hidden. That's how I got through it. We had three months of lockdown and I maintained my sanity thanks to RC Factory. So uh, big thumbs up to them. <laughs> well, I, I've, I've, I'm a big fan of RC Factory. Um you know, I actually reached out to them because I said I want to do 
I wanted a review of one of their planes and they sent me the whole thing for free with motors, servos, you name it. Got a friend of mine to build it because I was too busy writing articles. So I got him to build it and I've still got it though. So thank you very much. But uh, yeah, and I was telling, I was telling, I think I mentioned the podcast. And if I haven't, I've, I've told everybody, you have to have an RC factory foamy. Like everybody needs to have one. If you're especially into aerobatics, nothing beats having a profile foamy that flies well that you can just uh, practice. Glue back together. <laughs> yeah, glue. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I love gluing things back. I'm good at gluing foam back together. But uh, yeah, they're, they're such a good plane, and um, so I'm more than happy to give them a plug because you know they've been good to me, and and their models are just just awesome. Now talk. let's talk a bit about models, right? Because yeah. you have got some great sponsors in Pilot RC and Tony Tan. What a legend of a guy! The pint size yeah. powerhouse. And, yeah. <laughs> and I, I keep on trying to say to people through my experience in going to China and visiting a lot of the manufacturers and getting to know them that. These guys are so passionate about flying, and you have met Tony. You know what he's like. That he quite proudly says, "Ah, oh, it's not much money. We don't make a lot of money out of this." But he is having the time of his life. He, he oh, told he me how it. he he started the business because he started flying. He kept on crashing planes, so he thought he might as well make planes, and then he'll have an yep. unlimited supply of planes. Exactly. But he's such a great bloke, and I've watched that brand really pick up. Like the quality of their models now is amazing. They're doing some amazing work with their their airframes, and you know they're right up there with as you know with with extreme flight as being top balsa manufacturers. You know you're splitting hairs between them nowadays. Um, yeah. So you've got you've got uh, generally you fly larger scale stuff, but the jet thing, and I'm amazed at the jet movement. And uh, I've got a jet. Uh, sorry, I've got to also mention. Uh, I've got a friend of mine that keeps on complaining that every episode I say I've got a jet. So shout out to Matt Tomlinson again. I've got a jet. The jet <laughs> movement is massive at the moment around yeah. the world. That in Australia, there are so many people buying jets. And we all know that they're expensive, but you've got into jets pretty well. When did you when did jets come into your your hangar? I actually have a really fun video on that. I'm going to put my videos now. Uh, I actually have a really fun video on that that I uh, released just about a month ago. I'll give you the quick story, and anyone who wants to watch the full one, go onto the YouTube. Basically, I had zero interest in jets. Uh, I had zero knowledge and therefore zero interest. This is going back to like 2013. And a friend of mine from my local club said, I've just bought a jet. I need your help to fly it. I was like, yeah, not interested. So come on, man. You'll be able to pick it up before I can, and then you can help me to, because we've got to go pick it up. They can teach me, and then I can teach my mate. Said, eh, not interested. Said, we've got to go to Mallorca for a weekend so we can have a holiday and go fly. I said, oh, okay, sure, we can go fly jet. <laughs> and uh, we were there. It was the Jet Cat Spain dealer. He'd built the airplane for him. It was a boomerang airline. And... Uh, the, the guy actually flies on mode one and nobody had thought to ask him that. We all fly mode two. Yeah. So we get to the flying field. He teaches us how the, how the plane works. He flies it on mode one, lands it, says, okay, you're flying it next. Pick up the radio, mode one, <laughs> thinking, okay, this isn't going to work. Now, okay, I can fly mode one, but not particularly wanting to basically fly a jet on it. Um, we ended up having to go back to the shop, picking up a new radio, mode two, fly, 
I have to fly it on that knowing that I cannot hand him back the radio. So basically, if, if I decide to take off, I have no choice other than to land or attempt to land myself. But in that very first flight, we were able to do it. And in that first flight, I went from having zero interest in jets to saying, I want and I need one of these. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's basically grown from there. And my relationship with JetCat has uh, always been through JetCat Spain, thanks to that very first meeting with him. And uh, really never looked back. My, my first jet was a, an Ultra Flash, which I picked up about six months in after sort of basically learning as I went with this uh, friend from my local field who kind of really, really got me hooked on it. He picked up a, a flash and I realized that was kind of my style at the time, you know, fast and aerobatic. I said, okay, so this isn't the usual scale jet that self implodes, uh, which was my view at the time on jets. I thought jets just went around really fast until they exploded. Fortunately, I was quite wrong, but... Um, uh, I thought, okay, fast and aerobatic, that's kind of my style. Picked up the Ultra Flash, flew that uh, for about three years, really, really hard. And uh, then started going into some other bits, picked up uh, J 3D J10. I've now got a few uh, here in the workshop and uh, got the brand new FC1 coming really soon. The latest Pilot RC 3D jet designed by... Um, by the, the Elster team, who are the same guys that designed the J10. So I'm really excited for that one. I think that one's going to be a really, really, really fun jet to fly. Yeah, the uh, I, I haven't flown my jet. I've got a Viper jet, Skymaster Viper jet, and uh, I just can't wait. And I, I went more the, the sport jet route because I want something to do The Skymaster Vipers fly absolutely amazing. Yeah. I, you know, I've wanted two meter or 260? Two meter. I've just got the two, two meter. meter. With the jet jet cap, hundred in it, uh, but good the uh, yeah. So I uh, managed to pick it up at a good price, which helps. But um, yeah, needed something that was aerobatic. So I'm, I'm a bear, I'm an aerobatics fan. So uh, I, I'm not necessarily going for speed. I'm going for great maneuverability, kind of thing. Something that I can you know do some nice rolls and fly precisely and all that kind of thing. So yeah, oh, just got you'll enjoy that one. down. Yeah, it's ready to go. It's absolutely ready to go. Actually, I was uh, conversing with uh, Ali Machinchi from uh, Horizon about just, you know, uh, ele elevated a flat mixing and what I should do. And he gave me a few pointers about setting up flight modes rather than mixes and all this kind of stuff. Yep. So, so you can trim uh, elevators independently. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to, I've going to, I've got a video on that. <laughs> Have you? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm running out of things to watch in lockdown. I mean, Netflix is getting a bit boring. I've finished a few series on Netflix and now I need to watch Martin Pickering YouTube videos. You know, happy to do it. I'm going to have a look at – actually, I will have a look at that uh, that video tonight. Uh, any models that are on the workbench at the moment that you're working on? Have, uh, or is Yeah, I actually, I actually picked up uh, just on Tuesday the brand-new Pilot RC Slick. Oh, uh, a, yeah, I saw the prototype released. in China, yeah. That's the one, yeah. Uh, and it's got this wicked new colour scheme on it, the uh, sort of lime green, yes. uh, bright blue and dark blue. Oh, that and is a beautiful looks, scheme. It looks brilliant in pictures, but you have to see this thing in person. The colours really? are just... They don't come across on camera. And this thing is going to stick out at an air show or in the sky or in the workshop. 
something crazy. It, it's just sunglasses. Yeah, that is a beautiful <laughs> that is a beautiful scheme, and, I, and I'm pretty picky when it comes to schemes, but that one stands out. But I was with Tony at the last Toronto Top Show event last year, and he had the prototype, and Martin Brandmuller was flying it, plus uh, uh, a few other people. But um, the it it was a plain white scheme. They just put some stickers yeah. on it. Yeah. And Ivan liked that. I thought, I said to Tony, <laughs> just make a plain just white and put some stickers on it. That looks really good. But, yeah, if I was going to get uh, that slick, I'd get that. That scheme is really yeah. a standout. It's I, a really I think as standout. well with, with this one now, the I mean, the level that Tony's been able to be to start producing now is just the next level. I mean, I think we can all agree that Pilot took – a massive leap in the right direction when it went from doing the extras and the edges to the laser. Yeah. It uh, it really changed the style of flying of pilot RC planes. Uh, a lot lighter, a lot more aggressive, uh, insanely aggressive if you want it to be, uh, and super precise at the same time, all with this carbon infused everywhere and all the latest designs. And I thought that was like, you know, this is about it. This is now going to be where we're at for a while and then on picking up this slick now it's just it's kind of taken that same massive leap again and i just can't wait to see both how it actually flies now and also see what reactions we get from people from people out there because it's i mean the carbon work on here it it's it's like glass all the cuts are absolutely perfect it's got all his own new um uh quick build system so basically the the wings attach with just sort of half a half a turn of a screw same yeah, applies to the elevators uh he's finally got rid of the rudder servo inside the, the under the canopy with the pull pull it's now at the back where before it was kind of an option for either way and it's just got a load of really nice details on it which are just going to make it absolutely i think arrive at the flying fields set it up in two minutes and then just go absolutely hoon it about yeah, and that I spoke to um, Fergus from uh, GP Motors, who he's a great pilot, Fergus, yeah. and he flew the prototype. Absolute nutter. <laughs> oh, abs- absolute nutter. If, if, if you ask him, if you ask him or Tony, they'll both admit that he flies every prototype. He will yeah. also add on to that statement that he flies and crashes every prototype. Yeah. He's not everything he to flies, crash. something goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> to destruction, yeah. The yeah, he I had a chat he, with him he about will the plane. Plow, plow it into the ground every single time, but Tony just turns around, laughs, and says, "I'd have done the same." <laughs> yeah, well, we were at the um at the last China Top Show event on the last day. They have a bit of a fun day, and they created a competition where you got to take off, get some height, then turn your motor off, and land. And who can do like a spot landing? And yeah. Fergus is of course uh, coming in inverted. And yeah. uh, and he's egging everybody on. Come on, crash it! Come on, crash it! And, <laughs> and of course, he would come barreling in, engine off, gliding in, inverted, and then as low as he could get it, then rotate it so he could land it. And and he he did it once, and he he wasn't happy with it because it wasn't sort of out there enough. And he did it again. And he yeah. collected the banners on the side of the runway and everything, and everyone was oh. cheering. But yeah. that that slick, I had a chat with him about the slick. I said, what's it like? This was the prototype, mind you. And Martin Brandmill also flew it and he gave some feedback. Martin wanted bigger elevators and they, they ripped the elevators off the 103 laser, put it on the back of the slick to see how that would go because <laughs> they were a bit bigger. And, um, and But Fergus absolutely loved it. And he said to me that 
it's one of those planes where you can buy time with it. Like, for example, he, he said if you're a bit behind your music and your aero musical, you could back off the power, but there was enough momentum. The, pa- the plane would keep on going. You could, um, you know, go yeah. into a snap and it would still have enough momentum and, and so you could catch up on the timing. And I saw him do it doing really low knife-edge passes then a big snap right in front of the pilot's face. And he'd come in and you'd hear the motor back off but the plane would just keep on going and would not lose height. And that's what he said was amazing about it, that it was such a good platform for freestyle yeah. aerobatics. And that was just the prototype. And they, they, you know, Tony, I interviewed him actually, and he said that, you know, another six months, you know, six more months yeah. of work he wants to put into it and get it, get it totally right before he put it out there. But um, Well, this one will be definitely a lot lighter because the, the prototypes that Tony makes I mean, bless him, but he, he makes sure that the prototype... I mean, he always makes sure that nothing's going to break in the air. But the prototypes especially, I can guarantee you can drive a tank over them. And he makes them absolutely bulletproof. So first he tests kind of the shape and the designs and then gets on to the actual sort of intricacies of making it light as well and strong. So if that's how that one flew, this one that's now production, and this is like the very first batch of production slicks now, it's going to be amazing. We should be getting some. The, the, uh, we've got a great um, dealer here in Australia called Desert Aircraft Australia. who they actually make the ignition modules for DA Motors. But yep. uh, they're the Pilot RC distributor and they've got an order coming. Um, so hopefully there'll be some slicks uh, in that that order. But uh, yeah, the prototype in China, they actually had two tanks in it. So for testing, they wanted to fly for a long time. Like Fergus long. Thing for 20 minutes, right? And so yeah. they're carrying, I don't know, I mean, know, you can always land liters. and fly again, but... <laughs> no, 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 no. They had two tanks and they were filling them to the brim. And I said to Fergus, what are you doing with all these tanks? He goes, oh, I can fly for half an hour. It's good. Just keep on flying. <laughs> and the, the GP motors up front were just hauling them around and yeah. the poor motors, you know, don't get a break. And um, But uh, that's what they did. And, and yeah, and, and if they crashed it, they crashed it. It didn't really matter to them because they were, they were testing it kind of thing. So yeah. big shout out to Pilot RC. Well done. They, they are they are really doing some great things. You know, all you need to do is just look at the model and you can tell see how far they've come compared yeah. to, say, and, and they take ago. great feedback as well, which I think is really important. And you don't see that often enough in, in a lot of brands where yeah. you can point out to them and say, if you change this, chances are it'll be a lot better. Or if you... I mean, I remember when the the extra only had the option for the elevator to, for the rudder to be pull pull. And yeah. we said, Tony, you have to put a rudder servo in the back. Yeah. And he said, Oh, okay, cool. I'll do it for yeah. for all future productions. It's like, yeah, and it makes cool. a lot of sense, especially. Easy. Well, the guys um, when we were in China, the the the, the, the some of the boys were mucking around with a, an Extreme Flight Laser one hundred and four and with a DLE one hundred and thirty in it. Now it had heaps of grunt, but it had extra weight. And it was very hard to get that the balance right. And so you'd really need to put the servos in the rear, get whatever weight mm. you can to the rear. But they had uh, the biggest chunk of lead I've ever seen cable tied to the tail wheel <laughs> of this plane to get the to get the, the to balance the way that they wanted it to to balance with this big uh, big motor. Uh, Sasha Ciccone, yeah. actually, when he got when Sasha Ciccone went home, he went and bought one and put, put a DLE in it as well because he said the DLE is just crazy with that kind of size. But you're sponsored by GP, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, how good are the GPs? Oh, I think they've they've made such a hole in the market, and there's only one reason why they've done that, and that's just because they work. I yeah. mean, I've I'll, I used to fly for DA uh, through the European distributors. Um, I admittedly moved away from them when I 
set up my three meter 10 quill extra simply because the DA170 just was not big enough for that plane at the time because back then yeah. the composite planes were even heavier than they are now. And I didn't want to go down the route of the 204 cylinder because I wanted it mainly for sort of uh, freestyle 3D. So I moved over to MV MVVS uh, with their 175, which has, which was a heavy engine, but it had some serious power in it. Uh, but uh, uh, my good friend Emilio, who's the um, uh, GP dealer here in Spain and at the time was the Pilot RC dealer as well, he said, I'm bringing these new engines, they're uh, Taiwanese and uh, I don't know, they might work. Uh, they're the same as the, uh, the the same guy as used to produce the TMM 106, which we had tried previously in a, in an S batch, and that engine had been absolutely brilliant. So he said, "Okay, cool, we'll try it in his own plane." And after flying that regular, well, stealing his plane from him regularly for six months, we said, "We need to get in on this." And that was before GP. I think he was like the first or second dealer for GP in the world. Yeah. And uh, we've just not looked back since. The power that they produce is just second to none. Very little weight difference up or down to any other big brand. And the uh, the reliability is just not even a question. It just starts, runs, and then only stops when you tell it to. So, yeah. you know, ideal engine. Plenty of power too there. You know, as I mentioned earlier, in China, they're they're using a lot of GPs and DLEs and that. But the that GP one two three is just a an awesome motor. Have you had any experience with some of the, the newer ones? They've got a oh, thirty eight now and a seventy eight. Is it or something like that? Not yet. I have them on the wish list, but uh, I'm a little bit unusual in that sense because I tend to only really fly hundred CCs. I mean, my yeah. favorite size is hundred and three, hundred and seven inch airplanes, and even when I have built out, I mean, I built a couple of years ago uh, an 88-inch edge with the uh, 60 size, of course. Um, but again, it was fun. But after a couple of flights, I said, yeah, this is fun. But where's my 100cc? Yeah. Uh, it's just absolutely love how the 100ccs fly and uh, end up going back to that. So it's, it's one of those where it would be really cool. I mean, I think that the, uh, the new 91-inch laser must be an absolute beast if you put that 76 in it yeah. but it's kind of do, do i want it or is it just kind of a cool idea that i'm going to go back to 100 cc so I'll, ten, I'll tend to sort of stick more with the 100 cc's in uh in in my arrows yeah i think i'm a bit like you that uh i've never owned a 60 cc size plane i've had um i've got sort of two main sizes of aerobatic planes being a 30 cc and 100 cc and the reason why i got 30 cc is because they fit in the back of my car. Back of the car. Nice and easily, right? So, and I've got a trailer now and it's a nice trailer and I've worked out that I can put four 30cc size planes across the top rack and two 100ccs underneath. And That's a big trailer. It, <laughs> it is a big trailer. It is a big trailer. I call it my storage unit. It's a, it's a beautiful trailer. It cost me a fortune, but it, it does the job really, really well. And uh, the... My theory was that, okay, I've got the room for 100cc and I could put 60ccs. Well, why don't I just put the 100ccs in there? I don't need 60cc if you've got 100cc. Why do you exactly. need it? And so I've, yeah, I've and got it does two fly better. 100cc. Well, that's bigger, does fly better. And, and you know, everyone says it. And a lot of people, uh, I think, uh, fear flying some of those bigger size planes. But 
they're easier to fly. I, I, I built my first 100 cc, yeah. and a friend of mine was was really having a go at me, saying, "Well, let's just see how you go flying the 100 cc." And I'm like, well, "What do you mean? Look, it's harder to fly some of these smaller planes, especially when it's windy." I'm, yeah, I'm not scared at all in flying this plane. No, you know, it's it's the it's, it's the a puppy dog. Size, just because it's it's the perfect mix for I think for for me and for everyone really that uh, you know it's got the perfect mix of agility, stability, predictability, uh, and inertia all mixed into one perfect size. And you go smaller, yeah. you get more agile, but the wing loading is higher. You go bigger, and it's more stable, but it's not as agile. Whereas the hundred. 103 inches as, as is now coming out to be sort of the standard now i think it's just absolutely brutal yeah no big fan now you live in spain and over here in australia we don't hear much about the uh the spanish scene tell us a bit about what it's like flying in spain uh it, it's fun because i think it's actually quite different to what we tend to see in a lot of other places really uh which I think in, in a lot of senses, that is actually a bit of a shame almost. The the air shows in Spain are normally almost, uh, I don't like the word, but elitist. You know, an air show here is big airplanes, big jets, big expensive gliders. Um, you don't get that crazy half hour worth of fun that you get in, in England or in Germany or, or around there or in America where you have everyone suddenly comes out with their favorite foamy or they do combat with the uh the foam zaggies yeah. electric uh, w- wings and so on uh there's no real sort of there's no night flying normally ever uh, unless i do it <laughs> me or, or or my mate from portugal pedro um so i think in that sense we ha- we have a very luxurious model, uh, model flying scene here in that sense. But I think that's a shame because it kind of limits who can gain access. I mean, there's no actual limit, but there's no there's no rule that says you cannot bring a 50cc plane or a small jet or a glow plane to a show. But it just doesn't really happen because there's always that kind of feeling that, you know, it doesn't say that I can't, but, you know, I'm going to be next to this three and a half meter jet <sighs> kind of what's the point i think that's that's yeah. the one thing that i think we're missing here the, that's a pity the the, the the more relaxed side of it yeah which is a side that i really enjoy i mean I, when i go to england uh, especially western park which is probably europe's biggest air show of the year i'm very fortunate i've been going for now i think six seven years uh, this is the first year that we've missed for obvious reasons but uh I've got loads of friends there and they've always got a plane for me to fly to mess about with and fly in the in the mass flight uh, slots where they get 80 planes up at once uh, or the, the, the just crash and derbies or trying to fly it through the hoop of fire and things mm. like that. Just the, the, the more light-hearted, cheaper side of the hobby that here you only really see at the local local clubs. And even then... In my particular club, uh, you still don't see all that much of it. Yeah, there's the few that have that side of it, but a lot of it is, again, the big expensive models and jets, which, yes, it's what we all love doing and seeing. But I think it, it works better when it's in combination with these other smaller, 
don't worry too much if you crash glue and back together kind of models yeah. as well you, you, we're, we're fortunate in australia that our, at most of our events uh it's it's almost anything goes and and we're pretty relaxed um which is good you know there's some events that are you know like you know we have a big event down here a scale event called the shepherd and mammoth scale flying and that's for for larger aircraft so there's a criteria but even that has become a really fun event as well um as long as you've got a scale plane that sort of meets the criteria you can turn up and it's something that people strive to be but that's one event yeah. but the average fun fly event is just that just a fun fly and um you know we're really fortunate in that regard are there many fields in spain like can you travel around entire, you know all of spain and, and access a field uh, yeah they're not always close to where you are uh spain especially in this area is probably the hardest part of the country to find a flying field because we're in the sort of the popular area the touristy area so any kind of decently sized plot of land has been picked up by a builder and built on for houses for selling or renting or hotels and tourists but yeah you're never normally more than half an hour or an hour away from a, a decent flying field so i think in that sense we're not doing too bad well, how, how far away from your nearest field well my nearest field is the one i, I go to and that shows up in most of my videos that one's about a 20 minute drive and uh, we're very fortunate because it's a, it is a really nice Shall we say it's a really nice runway? It's a really nice flying field. That's all there is there. I mean, there's there's a little bit of a shaded area, but it's not one of these clubs where you have a clubhouse and there's water and there's electric and there's tables and that. No. It's a it's a runway with nothing around it, and a bit of shaded area and a fence in front to protect anyone who's watching. Uh, but at the end of the day, everything else after that is just uh, just luxury. I mean, as long as you have a nice runway and there's no real obstacles, as is the case. What more do you need? Yeah, it's true. Now you're in. Uh, it's currently summer over there. We're coming to the no. Actually, yeah, you've coming to the end of summer. Yeah, end of summer. The uh, uh, so, what are the temperatures like when when you go out flying at the moment? Uh, well, during August we almost stop flying because we're averaging about 40, 40 something degrees every day. So that does become a problem for <laughs> for flying both gas engines, which uh, struggle in that kind of heat. Not to mention that the planes just don't float <laughs> at yeah. all and then uh, jets also in that kind of weather the acceleration uh, you have to slow them down massively because otherwise they start spluttering regardless of brand so uh, yeah august tends to be almost a sort of quiet period and now september october november is a really really nice time of year to fly with maybe sort of between 20 25s uh really pleasant weather to be outside in not too hot to be suffering not too cold to need a jacket or anything and uh yeah so we're looking forward to the next couple of months i'm actually planning to build this uh slick today and tomorrow so hopefully get that finished over the weekend and uh take it all from there yeah. get some flying done now dream projects have you got any dream projects that uh, you want to achieve Ah, good question. Probably all of them, really. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. um, I would say I've been very fortunate that because of, especially the club that I'm at and the amount of traveling that we've done, there aren't many models out there that I haven't had the opportunity to try, either due to maidening them or setting them up. So in that sense, 
there aren't many that I kind of feel oh, I really, really want to or need to fly this one. Uh, I would say it's more a case of favourites now. I mean, I think that the, um, as I mentioned, the FC1 from Pilot RC that's coming, that one's going to be a really fun one, I think. Um, the Elite Aerosports jets are looking absolutely amazing. Uh, I mean, the the Havoc, I was fortunate enough to fly uh, Pablo Fernandez's um, Super Sport and the larger uh, version, Joe Knoll, last year. And both of those fly just absolutely brilliantly. Um, and I'm really interested. The Rogue that they've brought out is one that I would really like to try, I think. That's one that hasn't really started shipping yet, or there aren't many people around here that have them at least. And I think that one should be interesting because it's kind of the Havoc wing profile and style of flying, but in a more aggressive, uh, speedy design. And as one of my favourite models of all time is the um, Ultra Lightning from Calf Models. Uh, I think it's kind of an evolution of the Ultra Lightning. So I think that one should be really fun. And then just the, the really large stuff. I mean, the really crazy sizes that modelling seems to be getting into at the moment, especially the jets. I mean, you've got, got the, what is it, 5XL, Albatross and Hawk and the... Um, uh, Daniel Design uh, MB339s. They're all absolutely wicked planes, but I'm in between two minds of whether A, do I want one or B, do I not? Because I think they're the kind of things that they would be absolutely amazing to fly a few times. But uh, they... I think they're going to be too big to transport and look after and be able to actually set them up yourself and go flying you're always going to need people with you to carry them and bring them in and out yeah, so that's a problem i think i think that's going to yeah. um kind of be a, a, the sticking point for those you either need a team around you or kind of avoid them but i think one of the, one of my favorite ones as well would be the uh, I have a, one of, i think my most viewed video on youtube uh is a four meter f16 uh, in full chrome, uh, which is an absolutely amazing colour scheme. Uh, it looks absolutely brilliant. It flies amazing. It weighs an absolute ton. It's about 80 kilos. But because of the weight, it's one of the few planes that is big and heavy. Most of these big planes are very light, which means that they fly weird. They're kind of too light for the size. Where this F sixteen, I think that's that, that that would probably be my be my number one dream model. I think yeah, the the F sixteen because it's it's different, it's aggressive, it's more aggressive than the Hawk and the L thirty nine in those sizes, and it's got the right size to weight ratio that makes it actually fly and look like something sort of well realistic basically. Yeah. Now to finish up. It's a question that I ask everybody. It's a it's a signature move that I've got, and and that question is, what has been your favourite model so far? My favourite model so far, um, I'm not sure really. I don't think I have a go to favourite model. Um, if we're talking aerobatics, um, I would probably say I'll, I'll change the question around if I can. I'll cheat. Okay. I'll say that right. the the, mo the model that I have most fond memories of uh, is probably the Pilot RC S batch, the 107 inch, because that was really the um, the plane that 
made me change my view on 3D flying. At the time, I was very focused on competition, on iMac, on uh, composite models. However, that one being wood and a lot lighter and 100cc as opposed to 150, it was just so much fun. And it's one of those planes that even today, anyone who picks one up and flies it, it just feels like you're reunited with an old friend because it's a plane that does all the maneuvers, but it doesn't bite. It just hovers around, floats, and kind of almost waits for your instructions. And it's with that plane that I started traveling around outside Europe, started doing my first big air shows with. So I'll stick with that one. I think that's, that's the one that I have my most fond memories with and that probably changed the most the course of what I'm doing even now. Yeah, that's a good choice. Well, Martin, uh, how can people follow you? Like, uh, what are the channels that uh, you want to plug? Uh, well, the number one would be on YouTube, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Martin Pickering. Uh, I try to upload as much as I can and uh, especially try to upload content that I think is really interesting for anyone who lives and breathes error modeling. Uh, I'm also on Facebook and YouTube, uh, Instagram. Again, Martin Pickering. I'll admit I'm quite useless when it actually comes to social media. So uh, Facebook and Instagram are ones that I kind of almost, I don't forget about, but it's a case, oh shoot, I haven't looked at that today. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I try to upload what I can there, but I would say YouTube is the number one where I actually have a some kind of schedule in plan or some kind of plan of, okay, we're working on this video to upload it there. And then, of course, there's always good interaction on the comments there. So anyone who wants to see anything in particular, just comment it in uh, one of the most recent videos and uh, I'll be straight back at, at, uh, at you. And uh, if it's something that can be done and that's interesting for the general public, it can you can almost count on it getting done. I'm just not sure when. Time schedules are <laughs> too many. Too many plans. I always have too many plans ongoing, but uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. Well, Martin, look, big thank you for joining me, and a big thank you for producing the content that you're doing. And I urge everybody to go and subscribe to the Martin Pickering YouTube channel. When you go there, you will see a plethora of content covering all sorts of different things. If you're into large-scale aircraft especially, lots of tips and tricks and things like that that you will see. And and entertainment as well. You'll be entertained by Martin. So a very big thank you, Martin, for joining me. Thank you for having us on. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. So uh, one day I hope to see you face-to-face -face and we'll go for a fly together. That'd be, that'd be a big dream of mine. Yeah, well, Australia's on the bucket list, so hopefully one day you can make it happen. Well, if you don't, uh, if you don't get in contact with me for coming down, I'll be very disappointed. You can count on it. Excellent. Okay. Thanks, Martin. Thank you, Andrew. About to leave. Already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. big episode from flat out rc uh hope you enjoyed that chat with martin pickering big thanks to martin for joining me uh really enjoyed the chat lovely bloke um so many stories to tell you could probably go for days and days and days but uh really really great bloke to have a chat with so big thank you to martin pickering don't forget to go and follow him on youtube 
Martin Pickering, and then if you want his Spanish site, it's coming. Martin Pickering RC, I think he's going to be his Spanish site. And don't forget, you can follow him on all the uh, socials as well, Facebook and uh, Instagram as well. I think Martin Pickering RC's one to look out for. So big thank you to Martin, and a big thank you to everyone for joining me here on the Flat Out RC podcast. Don't forget to press the subscribe button so that you're notified of these episodes when they come out every week so stay tuned plenty more to come don't forget jump onto the flat out rc facebook page flat out rc instagram page and don't forget to tell your flying buddies about how great this podcast is we're bringing you some of the biggest names in the hobby such as ali machinchi jace Ducia, peter goldsmith and now martin pickering and of course all the wonderful local australians as well uh plenty more to come so Thanks for joining me once again. Take my hand, we'll make it